0: Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today, my guest is one of my favorite actors in the world and truly one of the greatest actors I've ever discovered in my life, Glenn Fleshler. You know Glenn Flesherler from HBO projects like Barry, True Detective, and Boardwalk Empire, and Showtime's hit Billions. You also saw him very recently in the smash global box office hit, Joker opposite Joaquin Phoenix. Glenn is such an incredible actor, and I've watched his career... Very early on, I discovered him in Spring Awakening, and I saw he was an NYU grad, and I just followed him throughout his journey, and I'm so proud of him because he does such amazing work. He's one of my top five best actors in the world, and I'm so grateful that he took the time to come and do this interview, and he's so giving about the struggles he endured to get to where he is. I'm so proud of him, and I know the best is yet to come. Here it is. Glenn Fleshler, Welcome to An Actor Despairs. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It means so much to me, man. Like, you know, I, I I've talked about this with a lot of actors on the podcast. We were just talking about Che Wiggum. And you know, there's the difference between good actors and great actors is like, you know, good actors, there's there's personality and there's room for that, but great actors There's nothing like, there's so much nuance and existence and choices made that only that actor could have played that role. And you have been one of those actors that like everything that you've done, like the first thing I saw you in was Spring Awakening, which was my (laughs) freshman year at NYU. And I I read your bio and I was like, Oh, he's at NYU. I should like follow his career. So I kind of watched it with a watchful eye. And then you just kind of like has set such a a standard for all us actors about a, Achieving brilliance in what you can do with characters, you make such like defined choices. And I have so much admiration and respect for your craft. And watching you work is like, it's a masterclass. Anytime I see you, Thank it's you. just like, it's like rooting for the home team. You know, I, I've spoke about this with an actor named Elliot Villar, who was on the podcast. I so, know Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot's a good friend. And, and if if you look at acting as a form of athleticism, you know, you, I've watched you spar with some of the greatest actors in the world and emerge victorious every time so i'm so grateful for all that you've done and and you've really you've really been a real hero of mine of just like setting the standard about you know when i audition i'm kind of like well what would glenn Flesher do with this character you know and it's pushed me a lot so i owe you big time for that thank
1: you that's very kind i don't know
0: i don't know if i can live up to that (laughs) you you certainly have man but i I usually like to start at the beginning so where did you grow up Uh, i grew up in queens new york um
1: and I think, you know, it affected my acting because, you know, I felt like I lived nowhere. It was yeah. sort of like, uh, kind of nondescript, um, halfway between the city and the beach. So I guess that was what you could say was a plus is you could get to the city. You could get to the beach in under an hour, but, Rockaway
0: um, being the beach,
1: uh, or Jones Beach, oh, but Jones we beach. did go to Rockaway quite a bit as a kid. But I mean, you know, like Long Island and then, um, Manhattan. All I really cared about was Manhattan. Yeah, I I just like looking across the river, dreaming of being in the city, Broadway, all of that.
0: So you you did enjoy growing up here?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I love New York. That's amazing. I love New York like crazy. But I but something about Queens, you know, I always felt just like in between. You know, I was like in this in between land. But there was uh, you know a great cultural shift that happened from the time I grew up to now in the in the neighborhood where I was. You know, it was like almost Long Island. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, waves of immigration came through there, you know, you know, went from being uh, largely Catholic and Jewish to then Koreans, then, uh, Indian and Pakistani, Uh you know, a lot of different, um ethnic groups sort of came through there so that was interesting but new york is like that in general you know if you're an actor you can observe people and you know it's a feast you're just getting on the subway you know if you're interested in character
0: yeah totally What, what what did your parents do
1: my parents were both professors um particularly early in my life my mother had a kind of career change midway through but yeah so they were kind of intellectuals but they were great uh lovers of the arts wow so that was part of it i mean they always said that i um was born you know acting so (laughs) you know there's not i don't have that definitive moment for you it's like a thousands of moments but definitely you know we watch tv you know my mother was really into like old movies uh we went to a lot of broadway you did and um yeah it became like a thing because they saw how into it i got that um that, you know, my birthday every year, we'd go to a Broadway show and I remember my father, we'd go out to eat and my father would start like snaking down the streets and making sharp turns. I had to like follow him through the crowds <laughs> in midtown Manhattan and I'd be looking at the marquees and going like, is it going to be this show? Is it going to be this you know, yeah. it didn't matter because I loved them all. I mean, I totally. ate it all up at yeah. that point. So that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, did you get to see
0: some pretty cool stuff.
1: Oh my God. It was all amazing. Yeah. I mean, my mother says the first show, first Broadway show we went to was Greece, the wow. original production of Greece. And my mother always tells the story of how I didn't want to get up at intermission because I was afraid they would start without me. <laughs> it's so amazing. Transfixed. And yeah, we saw the original Wiz and the original wow. Pippin and, you know, Annie and all that stuff. Um, and you know, and then my parents were great, like, theater subscribers so they would come home with these programs yeah. from you know the shadow box and all these like more serious plays and i always wanted to do what the grown-ups were doing you know what i mean i was like rather than watching anime i mean i watch cartoons and stuff but yeah. rather than like wanting to go to the disney movies i wanted to go to you know i was like what was one flew over the cuckoo's nest yeah. like what's that about and like you know I, I remember seeing like silkwood when i was you know still pretty, not a little kid but like you know a little young to understand it, but I was like just on the verge of understanding it. And yeah. I knew I was watching something amazing by the way these people related. I'd never seen, you know, uh, Meryl Streep and Kurt Russell and Cher are living together. Yeah. And they just had these really real, you know, fights with each other, but they you could feel the love between them. Totally. And, um, and the whole, that's a whole long story about Meryl and Mike Nichols and.
0: Were you, uh, like, exposed to any of, like, the downtown theater? You know, because I know there was, like, the Wooster Group and so many... Oh, of, that was the, much later, but yeah. yes,
1: yes, yes. I mean, you know, I I basically... If we're talking really early influences, you know, I also was a kid when Saturday Night Live first came on the air. Wow. And I had a... I have a sister and brother who are five and seven years older than me. So I was a little bit, you know, the kid left to my own devices, yeah. you know. Um That's probably why I became an actor, you know, lo- looking for <laughs> Youngest attention. Trial. I'm here too, you know. And, uh, Pay attention. Um My parents used to say, oh, you were such a good baby. We would play tennis and we could just leave you on a hill, yeah. you know. And I'd be like, well, that's why I'm all messed up, you know. <laughs> um But anyway, uh yeah, Saturday Night Live was a big influence because my brother – he was even young for it, I guess, but he was like, you know getting into the teenage years and could just sort of sniff the idea of like sex drugs and rock and roll, yeah, I you know didn't know what all that was referring to yet, but I saw his response to it, and he would let me stay up if my parents were out, yeah, you know, and then I'd race up to bed, you know if I heard saw the headlights come, they'd come back from the a play in the city on a Saturday night but i was hooked instantly and just the energy of that and what they were talking about that generation that sort of came out of the 60s into the rock and roll 70s and we're finally getting like you know television exposure of like their perspective and seeing belushi for the first time and i was like obsessed with chevy chase for a period of years and uh gilda and you know um just just that incredible energy and the daring of their performance and transforming into different people I mean that, that had there's the prime effect. of I
0: mean, SNL you know I mean, it there was re- just
1: uh, you know there's nothing like it and of course I've loved the show ever since and there have been all different iterations of it and different
0: energies but there was nothing like the oh, of kind course. of rock and roll vibe yeah. of that
1: first cast you know
0: so then what was like the first performance that you did was there did you enter like a drama school you
1: know or I mean as a little kid I uh, I, I would get up and do talent shows in uh,
0: fifth and sixth grade and I would just do impressions nice um, Being influenced by SNL, then, obviously, like doing impressions yeah, yeah, and
1: everything else I yeah. mean,
0: we watched the Carol Burnett
1: show, you know, early Billy Crystal uh, You know, I watched the old school You know, I'd try to like stay up late and watch the Tonight Show and see the comedians on there I had a lot of different influences I mean, I was into music, I was into comedy I was into, you know, dramatic stuff Although I didn't get to see as much of it as I wanted to Yeah Um, you know, I'd listen to Casey Kasem and the, you know, the top 40, you know, stuff. And I knew all the songs and I kind of lost that along the way, but, uh, and, you know, like I said, going to Broadway. So I didn't know where I was going to fit into any of this, you know, or where, what I had skills for, but I just sort of had this like, uh, feeling of like, I can do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, particularly where acting was concerned, because I didn't understand what went into it. Yeah. And I just thought it was kind of this magic, but then I also thought it was sort of nothing. It was just like people being there and talking. Yeah. So uh, I just... You know, it was like the duality. I know you've talked about this with other people of like how actors we kind of, you know, have this incredible confidence, and then you have this incredible Insecurity, lack of confidence, and you yeah. go back and forth. I had, yeah, I think both of those things playing. Part of it was like being a kid from Queens and looking across the river at Manhattan and thinking like, "There's no way." Yeah. Like, who am I? You know, totally. And then this other little cocky kid thing where you're just like, "I can do that." Yeah, I'll, I'm going to do that. Totally. I'm going to be like, you know, this big, you that know, childlike actor or something. dream wonder. Yeah. totally. So uh, I did that. I, I think I played. Chris Early in Oklahoma in like sixth grade. Oh, wow. I agree. did like a play about New York where I played Peter Minuet. Maybe that was fourth grade. So I, I was like, wanted to be in the class plays and whatever that was. The transformative thing later was um, both my brother and sister had been involved in something we had in our high school called Sing, yeah. which they made a movie about and they did. I don't know if they still do it in New York, but it was all around um, New York City uh, and maybe the state in different schools where. The classes would compete, and they'd each put on a show based on a theme. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty big deal. And to a little kid, uh, you know, I, my brother was, like, on the stage crew or something. He wasn't into performing. Yeah. But I would go see it. And I and to me, that was, like, as good as a Broadway show. Yeah. In fact, as a kid, I, I would go see my cousins in plays and stuff. Community theater, you know, we'd go to... If we were on vacation up in, like, Vermont or somewhere, we'd go to the little playhouses there. It was all... Showbiz to me. I mean, it was all like I could be in like a middle school auditorium, yeah. and hear like a rickety, you know, band starting <laughs> to warm up, and I would get chills. I'd be mean, yeah. like, a show's gonna happen. Yeah, you know I gotta, I I gotta get on the stage. I, yeah, yeah, I just loved it. I loved it. So anyway, this show sing, you know, it was just high school kids performing, but to me, it was like unbelievable, and there were little inside jokes yeah. about the principal and all this stuff. And what you would do is, um, you would get you would barter with the other classes for whatever the hot like uh songs were, and you would use that music, so no one had to compose music because none of us knew how to do that, yeah, but then you would write lyrics to those songs what a cool idea, and yeah. you would you know and the three you know all the shows would you know, all perform in an evening and then there would be a winner, you know, you'd have a little alma mater song at the end for each class. And so I was hooked on that and uh I ended up writing and directing and starring in three musicals in high school. I just took the thing over. I had different partners along the way
0: and was there like a LaGuardia of Queens or this was just a normal No, this was
1: just a high school. We didn't have a theater program or anything. So this was a student run. You know, there was like one faculty person assigned and then there'd be two seniors who would be like the commissioners and they would like keep it all on the up and up between the classes. And it was kind of a crazy power trip because yeah. I didn't know anything, but yet I was like directing the actors. And then I would go like downstairs and see the scene painters and check out what they were doing for like the backdrops. And then yeah. I'd go in with the band and hear what they were doing. And then I would go look at the choreographer and see what she's doing. And then there was like a chorus director who would deal with all the, the chorus for the singing part of it. And, um, And so, yeah. And sometimes I wrote those musicals in a night because I had grown up seeing the shows. Like I knew the structure. Totally. And then we had a theme and, you know, we try to meet as a group and try to write together, which is like impossible. Yeah. And uh, eventually the first time I remember I just went home and I was like, I'm going to do this." I think I stayed up all night and I just like cranked out. it. And then they looked at me like I was a God or something. They were like, where did this come from? I'm like, how did you do this? And I remember even my mother thinking like I was going to go into comedy writing because I could write lyrics to these songs and just make them rhyme. And, you know, it was, uh, I don't know if it was anything, although I wrote, it was when the Thriller album came out, oh, Michael Jackson. The best of and, all time. Uh, I wrote a song called Eat It to Beat It. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, Weird Al Yankovic.
0: Oh, did you send made season it, made, it, made a zillion dollars on that.
1: So I always thought, you know, I had a few, you know, I had a few moments there where I was like, oh, something was really happening there. But um, so that was, uh, that's pretty much my early performance. At that point, I had no idea. Yeah. And- w- how I was going to really go forward. And when you went to college, did you study acting or? Yeah, I went to, uh, SUNY Albany, okay. upstate New York. My parents were like, you're going to a state school. Yeah. I sort of, you know, it made me academically kind of, you know, I was always in like the, good classes and smart classes. And I was taking all of these AP classes in high school, but I didn't take any of the tests. I started coasting because I was like, I'm going to be an actor, you yeah. know? And then I went to Albany, which was like a business school. It wasn't known for theater, but, and we had a sort of liberal arts theater education, but um, I got to play the leads in all the shows. And yeah. at some point, I, I'm sure other people told you this, Kind of story, but you know, my parents always wanted me to have something to fall back on, and I became an English major. Like, I don't know how I was going to fall back on that, but yeah. I just thought like that was safer. And then eventually a teacher talked me into like, oh, I've had students who've become, you know, journalists and all these different things, this theater teacher. And I not only became a theater major, but then I became what was called a departmental theater major, which meant I didn't have a minor. It was like 54 credits all in. in theater. Yeah. 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 And so I took acting, voice, and movement there, and I took all the theater history classes, dramatic literature, which was good because it sort of force-fed me all the background stuff knowing all the plays and you know a little bit of the theater history and yeah. and I love that stuff. I mean I love studying about act like you you're very passionate about actors that you yeah. see. I, yeah. I always loved that even the actors who had gone before me at that little college, you know. I yeah. I wanted to know like who is that person and where did they end up and you know totally. I'm always fascinated by that. So uh yeah, I started doing uh plays there and I got to play I got to play Oedipus there, I got to play Tartuffe, I got to play major, huge roles that I was not remotely prepared for yeah. probably, but I just sort of like flicked the switch and got really cocky and was like, I'm going to do this, you yeah. know, and I devoured it. I, I, sometimes, I had years where I did maybe like 20 plays in a year, wow. um, and that's all I wanted to be doing.
0: And did when you when you had this stream, like did did the film and TV obviously I know it had a big impact on you with Carol Burnett SNL but like did you have an idea of like I mean I, I had a year in in
1: undergrad my some people I went to college with could attest to this where I just did nothing but talk like Al Pacino and Dog Daff Afternoon. <laughs> You know, I started to devour the stuff that, you know, yeah. I, when I referred to like being too young for certain movies, you know, and wanting to know that's a, you know, and then you start, you know, watching The Godfather over and over and, you know, all the great 70s movies and all that icons that we all grew up with. Uh, I started to devour all that stuff yes that was always a big part of it for me and again going back to seeing Jack Fun I did finally see Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest wow. that was one of those defining performances where yeah. I was like I can't believe an actor can do this totally. and just take me on this ride and um have such charisma and such um you know power of transformation and I just, you know, I'm still blown away by it. Yeah. Uh, Probably that performance and and Pacino and Dog Day were, you know, the two like hard hitting, you know, just like rock my world. Yeah. Movies that I saw. But there was tons and I went to everything. All I did was go to the movies in those days, you know, and even later, you know, when I was like an actor auditioning and between stuff, because I was still living in Queens for a period of time and like commuting. So once you get into the city, you're like, okay, I've got time between appointments or whatever. During summers, were you coming home from school? Um, during summers, I was home, yeah. During summers, I was home.
0: Were you and doing summer stock ever? Not
1: yet. Yeah, okay. um, I didn't do anything professional until... I think one of my classmates at, um, in Albany wrote a play, and we went and did it a dinner theater thing.
0: Yeah.
1: It was like a murder mystery. And I was the I was the host of a speakeasy. Yeah. And, uh, and then I got shot. And... So I was like, you know, kind of the lead of the first half of it. And then the murder mystery happened and I just had to lay dead yeah. on the floor in front of these people eating dinner in like Saratoga Springs or somewhere or Lake George, New York or wow. somewhere. And, uh, and then they, they would solve the mystery and they would have the audience help choose who the murderer was. yeah, And then they go through that whole thing. And I'm like for 45 minutes <laughs> lying on the ground and we just kind of cooked this thing up and, you know, didn't have a lot of time to rehearse or whatever. And the. Major, crucial, crucial mistake, and this is uh, this is a good yeah. lesson for any actors Police. out there. I fell on my arms, and then I had to lay there for forty five minutes. And when, and at the end, they announced all the characters and the actors that played them and everybody took a bow. And then they, I was last and they were like, and Glenn Fleshler as Tim Foley, you know, and I could not get up because my arms were completely (laughs) asleep. And so it was not, not my best curtain call. Oh (laughs) man. That was not smooth. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: That's a great. So then I, you know, I I talked about this with Elliot and uh, Morgan Spector when he was on the show, a lot of actors, they really struggle with this and if you wouldn't mind him it Unpacking it a little bit of your decision and what you think the benefits are is grad school. You know, it can be a really tricky thing. A lot of actors, like I studied, I got a BFA, so I was, you know, pretty sort of satisfied with my training, so to speak. And MFAs can be, you know, they get, it's a really hard program. There's like a 1% acceptance rate, you know, at, at the big three at least, and, and the other ones. When you finished SUNY, was there, did you know right away that I got to get an MFA? Well,
1: I had a teacher. Um, an undergrad that was teaching at NYU so I was hearing stories about it which piqued my curiosity but I had another teacher who had worked for a company called the National Shakespeare Company yeah. and that ended up being my first job so I actually came home. Is that in D.C.? No it's uh, it was based in New York. It's gone now but it okay. was like a bus and truck uh, company. It was like the best non-union job you could get at the time wow. in New York and they were based out of a grungy uh, theater in Hell's Kitchen called the Cubiculo and um, I had heard about it from my one of my teachers, and then it was like the first uh, picture and resume I sent out. Yeah, and it ended up becoming two years of work. Wow! Um, I it played, was that
0: fun times. It was
1: unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I was twenty one, and I got to tour the country doing Shakespeare. I had studied a lot of Shakespeare in college, and I used to actually read it out loud when I was in high school. I don't, I didn't even know what I was reading, but my brother had a set of volumes. So you were comfortable with the iambic? I and, wasn't that exposed yeah. to it. But I remember opening those books and just reading it out loud and be like, this is fun. By the way, I, you know, everything I was drawn to at that time was like, you know, I went like I talked about comedy influences and I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't really have the musical talent to do, you know, the Broadway stuff that I, you know, and then when I got to Albany, it became about, you know, classical theater and I was doing all this kind of serious stuff. But I would bring in scenes that were like, you know, Martin Dysart from Equus, who's like a you know middle aged English a uh, psychiatrist going through a, a midlife crisis. Like, yeah. What did I know about that at 18? But like, you know, or Salieri in, in uh, Amadeus, you know, I always was like drawn to those yeah. kind of older roles and then, you know, doing a lot of Shakespeare. And um so for two years, I toured the country, just like, you know, it felt romantic in the way that Shakespeare Traveled the country, totally. and, you know, and you
0: must have had all these amazing pieces in your pocket, just you know, doing. I did. I yeah.
1: developed. I had too many actually, but I, yeah, I, I started learning. I mean, I read the whole canon during that time. I played. You know, we would do two plays: a comedy and a tragedy. And then I changed roles mid-year because wow. people would leave, so um, I got to play bigger parts. And then I came back the next year. And then about midway through the second year, I, uh, I, I both. I wanted more training. I felt like acting wise, I felt like I, I wanted like more training. Yeah. And then also career wise, I was like, what's next? Like, how do I move forward? And I went and did some summer stock. I got to go play Richard the third in my early twenties in a summer stock. And that was amazing to just like this. One of the, still to this day, like about the most fun I've had on stage. Um. So I had, you know, really conquered like these huge roles little did i know like i'm going to be a character actor and play all these little supporting parts and like (laughs) bits and pieces but like you know i got at least early on a chance to like bite off these incredible yeah you know meaty meaty things and that gave me some confidence going forward um as far as going to grad the decision to go to grad school you know i feel like i was coming up at a time where things had changed you know the generation before you know, if the, all the people I grew up admiring, the Pacinos and De Niro's and, and all those guys, you know, it was about going to Stella Adler or, yeah, or going to Strasburg or going to Hagen and plunking your money down and, you know, doing it in this kind of gritty New York way. And the next generation, probably starting around Meryl Streep, you know, is the first, like, icon that I looked at who was like, oh, she went to Yale. Yeah. You know, and then the Robin Williamses and Christopher Reeves and Louis yeah, Juilliard and, you know, yeah. that whole thing. And NYU was sort of more newly becoming on that level. Yeah. With those. Um, and then when I was at National Shakespeare Company, one of my directors directed at NYU and my roommate on the tour, who was like the leading man had just graduated from NYU.
0: The MFA program. Yes. Wow.
1: So I was hearing a lot about those directors and that, you know, what that was like. And, um, so that was a lot, a lot of sort of what led me there. And, uh, so yeah, I went and did the audition. Did thing, you do the big
0: three or just NYU? I
1: did. I did do the big three. And how did it go? Um, well, I spent all day at Juilliard so being you got tortured. Yeah. I got called back and then I got called back again for a, uh, for a interview and they were like, you know, wanted me to like, after I finished my monologue, I did it in front of this big panel the second time I came in. And then this guy, John sticks, who was uh, one of the main acting teachers there was like, do you have any pets? I was like, oh brother. And he was like, yeah, do you, you have any pets? I said, well, I had a dog, but he died. Yeah. He was like, play with your dog. Oh my and I was God. I like, Oh no. So I felt really stupid. I'm like playing with my dog. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Play with your dog and see something terrible happen to him. What? See, he wanted me to cry. Yeah, you know? and that was like the kind so of funny. bad the rap about you know, yeah. places like that at the time. But it was kind of my worst nightmare of that thing. And I got a little confrontation. I mean, I did. The, I did what he asked yeah, me to but do. It's kind and of- I saw something. And you know, and then I just stopped. You know. And then he looked at me and he said, "What happened to him?" And I said, "He got run over by a bicycle." And he said, "Pick him up." So then I have to, like, pick up, you know, miming, Ooh, picking my up my dead dog. <laughs> I Jesus. Like,
0: I hope you invoice horrible. them for therapy after. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back and I had an
1: interview with him and a guy named Harold Stone. So it was Sticks and Stone. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of the gist of that was that I came in kind of cocky. I had already worked for a couple of years. It was a four-year program. I so think you they think were that worried. Shakespeare
0: training kind of gave you a real sense of, like, Purpose and 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 well, I was just
1: a cocky cocky kid because I'd done some work, but also I think they wanted to know, you know, was I going to stick around because yeah. it's four years there, right? That's they true. They had some kids who were seventeen coming in, yeah, because you know, they mixed MFA 20s. and undergrad, yeah. So I, I think a lot of it was about that. They yeah. were asking me very strange questions, like, do you have any friends, you know, and stuff like that. You know, it was it was all very very odd. So that did not work out. And at Yale, uh it was just like take the train up. And, uh, there was a guy named Earl Gister, who was yeah. the chair then, and nobody told me that he had a voice box. Um, wow. And so, you know, there was like very nice people outside the monitors, but nobody, and then after my audition, I heard them telling somebody, like, you know, he has a voice box, and just, you know. But I didn't know. And I was like, why didn't anyone tell me? Because sure enough, I go in and I finish my monologue. And then I hear like, when were you with the National James Mayor Company? You know, and I'm just like, and I, he brings me over to sit down and talk to him. And I'm just like trying not to look at his throat the whole time because he's holding up this thing to his throat. Wow. And I'm just like, it totally like did a number on me, you know. Um. Anyway, uh, so that didn't work out. And NYU is like the complete opposite. Yeah. It was like. You know, And by that time, like I said, that was the place where I had talked to a lot of people about Yeah, it seemed to be the up and coming place. And it had my kind of vibe. And they were not like holding you at a distance. They were like, we're going to do three classes. You're going to talk to students. You're going to talk to Ron Van Lu, who is then the chair of the program, yeah. uh, and sit down. You know, they, they were like, you have to get to know us as much as we get to yeah, know you. It, it wasn't be- like a prohibitive sort of feeling. And it, it, it was surreal. It was surreal. It was really my dream at that point. And I I was so hungry, and I think they felt that. Yeah. And um, I walked in. I did my monologues for Ron the first time, and he asked me for uh, more material. And I remember listing. He's like, what else do you have? And I listed off like 20 Shakespeare monologues because wow. I had learned. Like yeah, I was of course. just doing this Two- stuff in the shower at that point. And um, he said, anything contemporary. <laughs> And I was like, Oh, so I rattled off a few things and none of them were like tried and true monologues. There was like something I'd been in a play called key exchange in college. And there was like something that I'd circled in the book catch 22 as like a short monologue because it could be like a one minute monologue and I'd never done it. And, um, and there were a couple other things that I was just pulling out of my ass basically. And he was like, yeah, do the key exchange and the catch 22. And I, and then he said, um, do you want some time to go out and prepare? And I didn't know these monologues. I hadn't used them. You know, one I had just done in a play of several years before Yeah, and one I never did. Yeah. And I stupidly just said, no, I just was like, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm doing that. I was just like, so determined yeah. to like be at that school. And, uh, and so I did, you know, I, I just pulled it out and wow. then he talked to me a little bit and then he was like, uh, I want you to come to the callback. Wow. And a lot of people were waiting for phone calls at home and all of that stuff or waiting for a letter. I think Juilliard sent a, le- would yeah. send a letter or something. So the fact that he told me right then was kind of incredible. Yeah. So I came to the callback for he and Zelda Fitchandler, who was the artistic director at the time, who had really, who really shaped what that program became. She's yeah. the one who really put it on the national map. And, um, you know, did monologues again, and then we did all the classes, you know, it was a whole weekend of stuff. And I remember coming back in the second day, and I was coming from Queens, so I had to leave really early. So I got there really early. Yeah. I always had to leave, like, so much time on the other end. And um, and I walked in, and the place is empty, and Ron's in his office. And he looks at me, uh, and he says, Glenn, can you come in here? And for some reason, this is just, again, the duality of the actor— I stood up and in the seven steps from the little chair in the waiting area into his office, I had convinced myself that he was going to tell me to go home. (laughs) Oh no, I I was just positive. It wasn't even like a self-conscious. I was like, Oh, he's going to tell me I don't need to be here. I don't, you know, it's just like fear coming to the surface. And then I sat down in the chair and this is like before the second day of the callbacks, you know, we're going to do all these classes or sit down and talk to people or whatever. And he said, uh, He said, Zelda and I would like to invite you into the program.
0: Oh my God.
1: And then everything else he said after that, you know, just kind of went into a hey. He was like, you know, about getting my financial aid in order and, you know, all of this stuff. And please don't tell anyone, uh, today, you know. And I, I went numb. I went completely numb and I, I, I said, okay, and I stood up, and uh, he just kind of gave me the nod, like, you know, meeting over, yeah. and uh, I stood up, and I walked to the door, and in a couple steps to the door, I was like, well, y- you have to say something, like, be gracious, yeah. you know, be, so I stopped, and I turned around, and I literally just like this one. I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't manifest the emotion. You know? yeah. I was like so Shell-shocked. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it was an amazing way to wow. to start that whole journey.
0: And so it was a beautiful three years, I imagine. Well,
1: it yeah. was a roller coaster of, you know, it was such a roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I came in, you know, with a little chimp on my shoulder, I think. But I really wanted to be embraced. And I was used to, like, teachers being mentors. And, yeah. you know, that was not the case there. You know, there was a lot of resistance to the fact that sure. I had worked before, there was the whole breaking you down process. Plus your first year, you're doing so much breathing. Yeah, You're just like doing a lot of deep breathing. You know, the whole class is like massaging each other all the time. You're stretching out and you're breathing. So you're letting go of all this stuff and you're dealing with emotional material all the time. You're doing a lot of improv. And so the highs and lows were so extreme. Like I remember having like the greatest laughs of my life in those rooms and also like being an emotional wreck And, and also thinking like the littlest exercise was like the greatest theater I'd ever seen. You know what I mean? Like you start to understand theater in a different way when you start breaking it down. And there were certain fantastic teachers there. And, you know, again, we weren't doing production yet really. So it was a lot of improv and a lot of exercises and, and yeah, just like opening up the world, like the seeing the drama in a sentence in one sentence, wow. you know, and really there's a whole story within that. Yeah. And, you know, it was very trippy. But I, I always had mixed feelings about it, and particularly because of the spiraling debt that I went yeah, into. I, six figures <laughs>
0: right here. <laughs> Thank you, NYU. Yes, <laughs> yes. So
1: um, and I had no way to, you know, I I remember, you know, they were like, how are you going to pay for it? And I was like, oh, I'll figure out a way. You know, again, yeah. wrong answer. You know, yeah. I had a classmate. Who they had asked her, like, how are you going to pay for it? And she said, I can't. And then she ended up with a free ride. And there were a couple of people, you know, in my class had a free ride. You know, they had to do some work for it. I did a little work study thing. I would try to do little jobs, answer phones and uh, whatever. I worked as a security guard a little bit in one of the NYU buildings, but none of it really made a dent. It was really worth it. And, um, ultimately I was always somebody that just had to be completely tunnel-visioned on acting. You know, totally. there, there's a lot of people. I did have struggle. I had years and years and years of struggle, but I never
0: had that, like... Were your parents supportive, you know, if, once you got in this program? My parents helped me. You yeah. Know? I
1: don't know that they... And You know, in fact, I came home from that day. I remember walking through uh, Washington Square Park. I just, you know, I loved the village at that time. Yeah. It was, like, where I wanted to be. I ended up living there for the next several years. Wow. But when I was still at my parents' house, you know, after, like, having been on the road for a couple of years and not being able to afford anything... yeah. You know, I walked home and I was like, I got into NYU and my dad was like, how are you gonna pay for it? (laughs) And, you know, I, I blathered something yeah. you know, about acting, but deep in my heart, I was like, I want to pay for it by acting, yeah. you know? And that was always the thing. And that was, you know, they'd bring people in to talk to us for our career class and they'd say, you got to do this and get your affairs in order and, you yeah. know, this kind of job and that kind of job and make money doing that. And I always thought, like I'm going to do it by acting. And of course I knew everyone was telling me it's completely unrealistic. In fact, we had an actor come in named Vincent Scavelli, you know who that character actor yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, Incredible it, face, yeah. Incredible face. And he was in all the Milos Forman movies and he had gone to NYU with Ron Van Loo wow. in the seventies. And, uh, um, and he came and spoke to our class one day, just our class and in, uh, informally in a, in a little classroom. we were sitting around on the floor and he was like, you know, the truth is if you want to make money, you have to go to LA. Yeah. And that was always like, you know, I was always bucking up against that. And then and, and it it haunted me for years because I stayed in New York. You see you after... You... And I couldn't make money. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I'm determined to do it, yeah. you know. And uh, now I, I'm happy to say uh, to all the actors out there that I am completely debt-free. And it was 100% oh. paid for by acting. Amazing. But it took a very long time. Well, you
0: manifested it with your talent I, and your hard work. I guess work. I did.
1: And I guess that's what all actors have to do. I mean, you just dive into that dream and just dream it harder and harder. You know, people are always like, what's the secret? What's the... Yeah. You know, how do you do it? How do you stick it out? You know, and really it's just by doing it, by believing in it and doing it. And, you know, the doubts come and we know those demons and they come and they come and they come, but you have to bat them away. It took me many, many years to realize that that was true for yeah. many, many years. So, you know...
0: And and when you graduated, were you kind of doing the co-star, guest star, Broadway audition Not circuit? at all.
1: I mean, I was... I came out... I thought I was the best actor there. I came yeah. out, I didn't have an agent.
0: Wow. Out I, of the showcase? I got showcase?
1: completely slapped in the face. No way. And, um... Yeah, no, I was cast aside completely. I went and worked. And the best thing I did was the first summer when everyone was like, you know, off with their fancy agency yeah, and trying yeah, to yeah, be yeah. on the next yeah. friends, you know. I, um, I went to the Berkshires and did three plays at the Berkshire Theatre Festival. Um, with one of my classmates, a guy and two girls from Juilliard. We'd all just graduated. Wow. We lived in a house together. We did three plays. We played volleyball all summer and like swam in the lake and went beautiful. to the bar and played pool at night and uh cranked out these plays and just had a blast. Yeah. And, you know, it was really like the thing that you're supposed to be doing, you know, yeah. the love of the craft, like playing to, and I got to transform it to different people like I like to do. And um it was, and it's such a beautiful environment. Yeah. And, uh and then there were, actors on the main stage who were like a little bit beyond me in the career, you yeah. know, that I could talk to and look up yeah, to and
0: for advice. And
1: I thought they were making a lot of money because they were making like 400 <laughs> something a week, I wow. was like,
0: you, but you guys
1: are making money. I was working for a hundred bucks a week. Um, so, but it was, it was amazing. And, um, actually, uh, some of those actors, they're, um. Well, the actresses I was working with who would come out of Juilliard uh, had an agent from ICM, and I was like, that I couldn't even conceive of. Yeah. I just wanted like any agent, you know. Totally,
0: someone to get me in rooms. And he
1: came to the shows and he saw me perform, and he, and I, you know, they said, oh, we'll put in a word for you, and then they were like, oh yeah, he wants to meet you, and I went and met this like pretty pretty powerful agent in New York, and um, and he I sat with him and he's telling me, you know, like yeah, you might want to do some theater, so I'll get you a. Uh, meeting at, you know, Manhattan Theater Club and, uh, you Nancy know, Piccioni. and I'll get you a meeting with, you know, uh, Howard Feuer and, and uh, oh, he's naming like the biggest cast members yeah. in the country that are way out of my league, I'm thinking. And uh, he's like, yeah, you'll meet them, you know, for movies and blah, 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 and all the stuff he's promising me. And I'm like, this is incredible. I made it. And then for the next several months, uh, and he's like, I'm going away on vacation, so call me in a couple of weeks. And then I would call, and his young assistant would be like, Oh, yeah, what number are you at? Yeah. Okay, he'll call you back. And I got the same, we had the same conversation. And I try to like leave enough time to not be like annoying. Yeah. But then call back like, Hey, Paul said to call him. And, uh, never never got on the phone with the guy again no so that way. was like a real another rude lesson in oh show my business god. It's like, people will say one thing to your face yeah but, you know oh god this business so yeah I went through a lot of that I went through one thing before I went to grad school where like I found in the newspaper and then I like paid the guy money I remember giving him my credit card I was like never in debt before in my yeah. life as my first credit card. And he's like charging me $350 to, to manage me supposedly. And they're getting like these like oh. photocopies of the breakdowns. And they're like, maybe you could go in for one of these things. I mean, it never led to yeah. anything. You know, I was just such a sucker. Cause I was just so hungry We all
0: are. It. Cause we want it so bad.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I have a real, you know, it's made me very, um That's like probably the thing that gets me more upset than anything else is like seeing actors taken advantage of. So totally. I've become as I've, you know, could not give a shit as much later in my career, become very, you know, protective of those kind of things. And also you're able to smell it coming and, you know, say no to things as as you move on. But, you know, because I know that feeling of just being that hungry yeah um and that there are so many people who just prey on you yeah it's really it's it's sick
0: and then you know going back to bringing it full circle you know i discovered you in in spring awakening which is became the smash hit what was it like doing that well that
1: was kind of the beginning of the the change in my life i had you know good 10 years before that where i was working i did off broadway i did regional theater um I got my first film and then I couldn't get another film audition for a year. Wow. I did a Miramax film. And um I mean, you know, I started with, I, I always pretty much until the last few years had pretty small agents, but this first office was very small and, yeah. you know, they were doing their best, but it was like, I don't know how I'm going to get to where I want to get to. Totally. But I, but my plan was just to keep working and try to play as many different things. At that point, I was transitioning from young leading man into, you know, this character, creature. People didn't quite know what to Got do to with me. How to position
0: you. And it,
1: so what I ended up doing was playing a lot of like, you're going to play, you know, five parts in this show. You're going to play, you know, three parts in this. You're going to play nine parts in that. So wow. it was a lot of putting on wigs and off wigs and, you know, fat suits and, you know, uh mustaches and... um trying to change my body posture, you know, but it made use of my NYU training. We did a lot of mask work and, you know, I grew up doing impressions so I could use all those skills and, um, and I liked that, but it was really like feeling like I had to make a lot out of a little, I feel like I've always had to do that, you know, since I got to play those really great leading man parts. Um, after that it was like, Oh, well I'm gonna have to find the artistry in this little tiny thing that they've given me yeah. or in the difference between these characters and like the transformation. Cause I always believe that act acting is magic. You know, it should feel like magic. It should feel like, how did they, do that. You yeah. Know, I had one director, uh, this great director Robert Woodruff, uh who directed us in a incredible show called The Devils at NYU and he would one of his he had so many fantastic things he said, but one of the things is he was looking for was like I want to show the audience something that they can't do themselves. Wow. So in that in his case it manifested a lot of physical stuff. Yeah. But I think that, you know, it's um There's there's so many ways to do that, whether it's through your vulnerability or through the power of transformation or, you know, through your emotional life and your experience. But it's just like looking for that moment where you let go and something happens that you couldn't have predicted, you know. And, uh, that's how I felt watching the people that I admired. Yeah. It was like, God, are they, how are they doing that? Yeah. You know? Um, so anyway, I forgot where we started.
0: Well, but. no, totally. We talked about Spring and
1: then, Oh, Spring Awakening. Yeah. Well, Spring Awakening was nine German Lutheran men from yeah. 1861 in one suit. That was the challenge. And it basically, uh, relied on my, um, classical training, yeah. like playing all the Shakespearean fathers that I'd been since I was 21 Did years you, old.
0: I mean, I, it's been so long since I saw that show. Were you singing in that as well? I had to sing a little bit, yeah. but not really. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I didn't have to sing
0: for the audition. Uh, the director,
1: Michael Mayer, had directed three shows at NYU when I was there. He okay. was just kind of busting out on the scene, wow. and including an incredible production of um perestroika, second half of Angels in America before it got to Broadway, he did it at NYU wow. with our third year class when I was a first year, and that was completely transformative. In fact, that whole experience of Angels going to Broadway, Tony Kushner having come from NYU, yeah. he came and spoke to us. He they worked on the second part there. They had done the first part at Juilliard in workshop Okay, and the second part at NYU. So um that was that was really uh yeah. you know to feel like i'm training as an actor i think the combination of that and um and the what was happening in independent film like tarantino was just exploding right and uh that whole scene yeah Um,
0: and the television kind of like you you did boardwalk empire and that's kind of what started the uh you know well it happened before
1: you know i was i was a little late to that party um but let's get back to spring awakening yeah uh uh, so I had met Michael Mayer, but he didn't direct me. I was like a house manager for one of his shows. That was like my crew assignment. Um, he directed Othello with the second year class when I was a first year and I was the house manager. So we knew each other. I think I'd maybe auditioned for him once in the early years and then he became this huge Broadway director and I hadn't seen him in years and years, but he oddly remembered me. I was now a completely different type, different yeah. body type, you know, my hair gone and, uh, I was a different guy and, um, and, he was sitting with Tom Hulse, the the actor who is now a producer and produces a lot of Broadway and they were creating that show. And, um, and they needed someone to replace Steven Spinella who had originated. The adult men was the name of the role, the father and teacher and doctor and, you know, to all the, all the kids in that show. And, um, they thought I was like some Bruegel painting or something. And, uh, And so they cast me to understudy him And I could not get arrested on Broadway I, you know, it was one of those things in my mind You get these sort of memes in your brain that like Well, this has never happened, so it's never going to happen Yeah In fact, I went to the West End Um and worked with Maggie Smith in an Edward Albee play no, before what? I got to Broadway. Wow. You know, I was like, you did the reverse you know, commute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was like a big, you know, basically it, it started in 2006. Uh, I started to get like, you know, I had hit like a low point in my career. I was really not having a lot of hope at the time. My personal life had fallen apart. And then like something changed, yeah. you know, something changed in the atmosphere. And part of it was me flicking a switch. That like, I don't have to be miserable, you yeah. know. I was like way in debt, I had no answers, I yeah. didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was struggling to You're survive. You're narrating in New my York. thoughts right now, yeah. Well, I, I know it, we yeah. all go through it, you yeah. have to go yeah. through it, but yeah. I, and I'm an extreme case of it. Um, and then I don't know, something started to change. I remember getting offered a Kenny Lonergan movie out of nowhere without an audition because of a wonderful casting director, Doug Abel. Oh, nice, and um, I did that, which unfortunately took then like six years to
0: come out Yeah, (laughs) I went through all these problems as many of the
1: indie films I did in those days it was cool to be in indie films at the time and you know we had what we had in New York we didn't have a ton of work in New York but you had some cool gritty films but then like they all would go through like years of either development or you know in editing or problems you know there was all kinds of things like they were hard to you know so I had that several times but definitely with that one anyway and then uh, I had a year in 2006 where I went from play to play to play to play to play and I had the first for the first time being in anything that anyone cared about in yeah. new york i was in a play called stuff happens by david hare yeah. which was like a 16 person ensemble and it was all about george bush and tony blair and the march to war in iraq oh, and all okay. the decisions And it was like all these behind the scenes conversations and he had david had done like thousands of books worth of research and thousands of interviews i mean it was like an incredible piece yeah and dan sullivan directed it in a brilliant oh, way and he sullivan. decided to um to make it like alley seating and um And just have us all sitting on stage the whole time no desks, no microphones coming on and off yeah. for the press conferences, just like little pools of light, and it was really we were all we had really, yeah. you know, little sound cues here and there, but mostly it was just the actors and we had to really support each other and be there and you had to think these very complicated thoughts as playing these politicians, totally. and again I'm playing multiple roles yeah. you know, I'm I'm George Tenet, the head of the CIA but then I'm Saddam Hussein, I had wow. to learn to speak Arabic, and uh, you know, uh, phonetically uh, uh, yeah, yeah, just somebody to yeah. account taught me and um, and all the you know and uh, it became a hit and you know it extended and extended and extended and I was working with these like actors who were like me they were like character actors in New York you know grinding away but they you know had been around longer and you know so I got to kind of be in a, in a great New York ensemble at yeah. the public and that was, uh, that was big and I, the day after it closed I went into rehearsal with Meryl Streep for Mother Courage wow. in Central Park and that was the first time I'm working with a hero. Know, yeah, like yeah. a superstar. And you know? how did that
0: feel finally in that moment? Did it all feel worth it? It, it was – well, I
1: still – I remember even talking with Meryl one day. We ran into each other in like a little bakery. Yeah. She was like hiding under a hat and then she like lifted her face up and put it in my <laughs> face like, I'm here. And I was like, oh, hello. And uh, we walked to the park together. And I remember just complain. It's so embarrassing now to think because I was like still in that like actor complaining mode where yeah. I was like, Oh, but it's not happening. And she's like, what are you talking about? You're doing great. You yeah. know, and I was just like, no, but I, I well, want to be like me. you, Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> but the experience was actually, you know, another confidence, you know, inspiring, um, Experience, and she was just you know it's one of those rare times where you meet a hero and they exceed your expectations, yeah. let alone meet it i mean, and we all would sit in the dressing room and hear her on stage just and so somebody kidding. one of that was just a bunch of guys in this dressing room, and one of us would hear something on the monitor and just go, "I fucking love her you yeah. know we would just hear over and over, and we just all rallied around her and she was a great leader and I was you know I was coaching a lot of actors at the time and uh kind of still trying to figure out like what acting is, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> and she helped me distill it down. Cause I was like, I want to study this greatest actress of, you know, in the world, maybe ever, you know, and uh, what is it that makes her tick, and what is it, you know, and ultimately I boiled it down to like the fact that she was totally in her script, like, Fully preparing, preparing, absorbing Mastery the script. Of the text. She was in every prop choice, every costume choice, sometimes too much into what you were doing, you wow. know? Like, this guy, he's a coward, you know? I'd be like, hey, yeah, hey, easy, <laughs> easy. Um, but, um, and then combine that with the ability to be completely present in the moment. Yeah. And, you know, when you're on stage in Central Park and there's planes overhead and there's like animals were scurrying across and there's an audience, a New York audience that got in for free. Yeah. And there's weather, um... What better way to be than to be able to take all of that environment and use it? And she did that in an incredible way. And um, I would see her stamping her feet on the stage in the middle of a monologue. And I knew that she wasn't making a choice. She was trying to shake herself out of any wow. patterns or, you know, and I, I totally related to that at that time. I was always looking for to, how to be alive every show. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, she would chase me around the stage with a knife. At one point we were like adversaries and I'd have to like fake her out. She'd be like, you went up stage of the wagon tonight. I'd be like, you were going to kill me. Like, <laughs> cause she would really come after me. Um, so anyway, I have a thousand stories from that, but just, just it was an amazing time. And then right after that closed, we remounted stuff happens in the park. For one day. So on our mother courage set, actually, we did sort of a reading, but we all kind of knew it. And they wanted to give it away free to the city of New York because yeah. everyone was so pissed about what was happening in the war. And, um, and that was the night that, you know, I remember when we did the play at the public, I thought, like, is this going to be like people going to scream and like yeah. be freaked out? Cause there was, so, there was such raw emotion about what was happening in the country at that time, much like now, unfortunately. Yeah. And, um, and that night, and it wasn't, it was mostly tame, except one night when we were leaving the stage as the audience, as the lights were dimming, this guy yelled out, somebody told me this is fiction. Remember that. But other than that, you know, the whole run was pretty peaceful. Wow. But then we did it in the park and there were like people handing out political flyers and there were people booing, you know, yeah. Cheney and Rumsfeld. And there were, you know, and then David Hare got up on the stage and got into like heated arguments with people. Wow. And it was great. He was so happy. Like I'd never seen him like really beaming with happiness until that <laughs> night. It was like he got what he wanted out of it. And I saw. I remember seeing him and he was like, you know, congratulated me. Great job. And I said, you know, I said, thanks, David. You know, I'm glad you're happy. And he looked at me and he just smiled this big smile and said, oh, I'm very happy. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I love you're it, doing man. something. And then I went and did another play in Chicago. And um, so it was like a year where it was like, this is how I drew it up. I'm yeah. going from play theater, to play theater, to play theater, to play. To play. Yeah. And then at that point, I started dating uh, a woman who turned out to be my wife. Oh, and uh, I was like, I don't know. You know, I'm like going from town to town. This long distance thing has not worked out for yeah. me in the past. and um." And uh I said, maybe I need to stay around New York more. And, you know, of course, agents were always telling you, like, well, if you were in New York... Yeah, you know, I could get you. you on. But then, of course, they're sending me off to do these plays in, you know, Connecticut or yeah, wherever. Of course. And um so I the next job I got was to go work with Maggie Smith in London because where do you go after Meryl Streep yeah. like, you gotta go to London and work with a dame so yeah. uh, I couldn't say no to that yeah. so I was like should I have to leave again you know for five months but that was an amazing experience and when, um, when working- I had
0: Kathleen Turner on the show she told a great story about Maggie how she like recently just went to London to see her and she did like a 90 page one woman show monologue and yeah just to- and she asked her why she did it and she's like just so I could still do it you know yeah
1: <laughs> yeah she's a force of nature
0: was that it? Was that a fun time over there? It was. It yeah. was very
1: complicated, you know, and it was very, you know, Maggie's complicated. Edward Albee, uh, rest in peace, uh, yeah. was a complicated guy, and it was a play that had run on Broadway in 1980 for about 12 performances and closed. Wow. So here we got a few months out of it. Maggie was like you know, would get despondent if a few seats were empty because she yeah. was used to like, if her name was above the title, totally. you know, the place was packed. And so I had to say like, we're getting five months out of this thing, you yeah. know, that like, you know, so yeah, it was, it was a great experience. I know five Americans went over some of my friends and, um, oh. and, you know, then we got to go to, Paris after and hang out Aww, and, and my my now wife was flying back and forth to come see me and Aww. yeah it was, it was a heady time and it gave me a, another boost of like I can get a job in the West End like that totally. rarely happens they never take Americans yeah, over there so, so this was a rare thing I think because all be wanted you know to be authentic yeah
0: and um, a and testament to your immense talent you know well thank yeah. you
1: nobody knew who the hell I was at that at that point but yeah to get the affirmation from people like like that um, that, that, that does help and then uh, when I came Came back. I remember getting offered uh, some regional stuff, and I was like, "Okay, but get me out of it."
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: and that's when Spring Awakening came, oh. and that that did change my life. That was another one of those. Yeah, you know, I mean that it, ch- game changer. That was a Hamilton you
0: know. of its time. You know, it was such it a, was a big deal. Yeah. But I
1: came into it late. You know, they were already established, and here's a bunch of kids that are you know from 16 to or 15 to 24. Yeah. You know, I'm already well into my 30s. And it's my Broadway debut, just like it's theirs, yeah. except they think they're hot shit. You know, they're in a hit show. I didn't make this show happen. Yeah. I started understanding. Then I ended up taking over the role. The, my first night on Broadway, the play came to a complete halt because like a, Technical. Cue, a cue was missed uh-huh. and the show stopped and this platform ran over Leah Michelle's foot and she ran off stage crying and screaming. We're all stuck there on stage. <laughs> oh we God. slowly like walk <laughs> off and they get it fixed and yeah. whatever. Um, and i ended up doing that play for a year and a half i'd never done anything more than 5 it's months the first before. thing i saw you in yeah and um a lot of first thing a lot of people saw me in, and um and so the the challenge of not only creating that i had i had to kind of find it in front of an audience yeah. and steven spinella who had preceded me had told me that like it took us months to kind of figure these characters out because you have these little snippets and you have to create a whole world yeah. you know and um and you know the best part was just like we sat on the stage with some audience that was on the stage, and we would come in and out from sitting in these seats on the stage. And I was right by the drummer. I was right by that band, yeah. and hearing that rock music, It's its closest I'll come to being in a rock concert. Totally. And yeah. occasionally we'd have a night where you know it was somebody's last night or yeah. something, and because we develop these passionate fans that would come again and again, that would really be like a rock concert. And I had like the line leading into the or the line into the All song the or the line yeah. coming out of the applause break or whatever, and that was like a really thrilling feeling. I'm like I'm never. Never gonna yeah. really have this again, and that started, um, you know, from being well into my 30s and never being able to get arrested on Broadway. I ended up doing six Broadway shows in five years. Yeah, you so did. It that started as a salesman. A, right? That was the last one. Oh, okay, uh, I went right the day I did twice. I did two at a time. So again, I was like, this is how I drew it up. This is how it's yeah. supposed to be. I'm like rehearsing one show and performing in another. The the, the the downside was that then I was totally burned out. Yeah, sure. I had like stage fright, and I was like, my body was breaking down. You know, because I I was so determined to keep. The show alive and not, never be bored that I was like making, playing, my mind was playing tricks on me. Yeah. And, um, it's very, very underrated thing to do, to be able to do these long runs. And there are some people, I have some friends who still do that, who yeah. are like in shows for years. And it's, it's very, yeah. Very Elliot told me he did
0: war Horse for two years, you uh, know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, but it was such a, you know, it was a dream because I'd gone to Broadway and to the fact that the, my first two were musicals, which I thought I'd never sniff a Broadway musical. Yeah. I ended up, then I started getting nothing but musicals, which was very weird. Cause I interesting I, I sing Okay. But I, I'm not a Broadway singer and certainly not a dancer. And, um, well, it's because you were so incredible I, in that role. <laughs> I thought, well, what's happening now? Yeah. Like, I've taken this weird turn, you know? And then I had to start pivoting away from that. And also, I didn't want to be on stage. So I ended up understudying Christopher Walken in a play.
0: The Martin so McDonough I, one? Yes. Yeah. Uh,
1: Behanding in yeah. Spokane so that I didn't have to be on stage, which actually turned into a fantastic experience. And yeah. it was an hour and a half long play, which is brilliant for yeah. Broadway. Of and, course. Like, I was home by like 9.30. Wow. It was great. And um, and it was a fun cast. And... Uh, and then I did like, you know, worked my way back. Like I did an ensemble part with Pacino in Merchant of Venice, yeah. another hero. And, um, and then I did a couple scenes in Arcadia and a revival and then death of a salesman happened. And that was like, that was another kind of bridge because A, I became very close with Mike Nichols, who yeah. was a hero. I mentioned Silkwood before and, um, I did the aud- the auditions with him. I was a reader for him, wow. and I ended up becoming like his right hand man. I would finish his sentences. He'd say, "Who's my friend?" I'd say, "Bruno Kirby." You know, he would just—I <laughs> I don't know how it happened—but we started developing this. Yeah. Scene. And I, you know, I had a fun scene as the waiter in the show with with Philip Seymour Hoffman. And um, rest in peace. And then, yes, indeed, and uh, and I ended up covering Willy Loman, which wow. was like I really enjoyed that part more. I, not that I wanted to do it. I just liked working on it. I would go home. At some point I said to the stage manager, okay, I've watched Phil and I've watched, we did a workshop, Scott Rudin paid for a three week workshop. You never get that on an established play. And, um, so the rest of the cast wasn't there yet. So I was reading all the guys, all the other parts. And then I ended up with this part and, and, uh, covering Phil and I just, you know, I didn't expect to go on. Yeah. Um, but I loved, I read Miller's biography and I studied it and it sort of reminded me of my parents' time in New York. I always loved hearing those stories about old New York and I'm very different from Phil, but we have some similarities. We did go up for a lot of the same parts early on. Yeah. He got them all, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but, um, I felt like I had my own way into it, you know, and I learned a lot from what he did and from what Mike talked about. But I always felt like, oh, there's something else that I, know about this. Yeah. From being a New Yorker. Yeah. And a Jew. Yeah. And um And weirdly, you know, people would say, well, are you going to go on? I was like, "Mm, you know, probably not. Oh, maybe you'll play it someday. I was like, maybe when I'm 80 or something, you know, and about four months. And my son was born during that show. So it's also like a play about fathers and sons and this kind of of broken love story. And I got to be around Phil and Bill Camp and all these actors who were parents at different stages, but having an artistic life. And that was great for me to see. And they were all. Scott Rudin and, and Mike and Phil and everybody were very supportive when I had my kid. It was a two show day. I got wow. to miss two shows, have a kid, come back to the show, and they had like raised all this money for us for Aww. diapers and stuff, you know, and, um, they were just, they, they couldn't have been better. And my, in fact, my son's first time out of like leaving the home basically was we like took him on the subway to go visit <laughs> the death of a salesman and no have way. brunch with the cast. And, um, and that was kind of the end of, you know, felt like i was coming to the end of my theater career things i was already on boardwalk empire by that time and i George was like looking to yeah. do more um more film and television so
0: was there a tactical moment where you were like you told your agents guys i've done it, a lot it, of this now it, i need to it's sort of
1: happened gradually because part of being in new york i mean that the whole broadway thing was so significant to me a because it was the first time i made a paycheck where i thought it wasn't going to get me out of debt but i thought I can live for the next year, yeah. and I also know where i 'm going to be, yeah, and you know I see the same faces every you know that sort of normalcy that most people have in their jobs that they get very bored of. I was like i've never had this yeah, I've been going from town to town, you know for two months, you know, being with a new family, you know, <laughs> and then leaving you know, and like that wander thing, and um so it was a very heady time, but also you know i it allowed me to have a relationship with my wife and yeah. see us be in the same place, and it also allowed me to. Get that consistency on film and television auditioning that I never had before. Cause yeah. it was always like here and there, you know, maybe I'll get a law and order or I get an indie film and then not see another audition for a long time. And so now I was, and also New York was changing. Yeah. Cause now that what you talked about, the peak TV boom yeah. was just beginning and New York was getting more work. HBO was starting to do more stuff. Yeah. The here. incentive program and, and um, so it was just chain. And then of course I was going through my own demons of like being on stage. And so, and I was having a kid. So yeah, I felt like, you know, maybe a transition would happen, but the crazy thing was that the show closed. We had the kid a few weeks later, the show closed. And um about four months later, I got a phone call from the alley theater in uh, Houston saying, we're doing death of a salesman. And um, our Willie Loman had a coronary and the first preview is tomorrow night. Can you come and play Willy Long? Oh my God. (laughs) Which is nothing I was looking for or expecting, but I knew I had sort of been brewing all these ideas and, and, um, my wife was like, you, you gotta go. Luckily, the first words out of my mouth were, I have a four month old, you know, (laughs) they were like, Oh, we'll do this and we'll do that. And, you know, they, they made it very workable for me. And, um, I held them off for a few days. I, I got the kid who had covered the boys, um, Biff and happy in the show and I, I needed somebody who really knew the play. Yeah. So I took him, like plied him with food and drink. We went from like restaurant to bar in Brooklyn. And while he ran the script of me, cause wow. I was like, I have to see if this is in my yeah, head from yeah. four months ago, you know? And then I came down on the Monday, and uh we staged it in four days and I played Willie Loman for a month and just kind of exercised wow. demons, you know, and then I was like, kind of done, you know, was, Yeah, I heard Patty Clarkson talk about this on a podcast recently uh, where she had talked about playing Blanche Dubois and then sort of exercising something and, yeah. and walking away from the theater. So I, that, I, that sort of happened where I'd get the same character parts, perfectly good jobs would come out and I would just sort of laugh. I'd be like, I can't possibly do that now. I, you know, it was yeah. just like something had happened. So, um, I did do one more play that I got talked into. <laughs> uh which which was fun. I did King Lear in the park Aww. about 4 or 5 years ago uh with John Lithgow and that was a very fun I time. But that. that's it. I haven't done another play since. And once in a while one will come by, but yeah. I'm like until it's like the thing that makes me, you know, my manager will always say like we're
0: going to find the thing that makes you come back. I'm like okay, yeah, it's not I coming close so it. far. <laughs> so Anyway. That's amazing. And then I'm curious because like you've done so much work with with HBO. You know, you did True Detective. You did Barry. You did Boardwalk Empire. Did that kind of – was that serendipitous? Like you just kind of became a company actor for them? Or? <laughs> it's so
1: funny that people have that pr- perspective um, because, yeah, none of it seems to have anything. I, I've never been able to find a thread. There's never been the same casting director wow. twice. There's never been the same director twice. There's never been the same executives in the room. Wow. Um, but they have turned up at every little milestone of my television career because my first TV show ever was sex in the city. No way. Um, I think that's the first, I so one of the first TV auditions I did, you yeah. know, and it was a one-off thing, but it was really fun. And people always wanted to talk to me about it because yeah. that show became a phenomenon. It hadn't aired yet when we made it. So I had no idea. And I've still never really seen that show, but, um,
0: me either. <laughs> but,
1: uh, you know, people went crazy for it. Yeah. And then, um, I was in the pilot for Board to Death. That was the first pilot I ever did, although I wasn't a recurring or anything, but I was around it a little bit because they kept doing table reads over and over because they were trying to get the right tone because it had this noirish thing, yeah. but you know, you wanted it to be funny and Alan Taylor directed that, who I had admired from his work on the Sopranos. Yeah. And, um so it was cool for me to just be around that and then um and then Boardwalk was the first real part that anyone ever recognize me for so that was a
0: big thing. George Remus iconic character Um, well yeah Yeah. it
1: was really nine episodes Uh, I didn't you know always have that much to do but I remember like going in uh, the first time and just kind of it was the first time I'd ever been on a set of a television show or a movie where I felt like I took control in some way I remember and I was intimidated because uh, when I was doing that play with Maggie Smith in London I was with an actress named Kath McCormack Katherine McCormack terrific actress and she um We were both, you know, kind of would love to talk about film. Yeah. And so she was like, oh, there's a new Shane Meadows film. Um, And I didn't know his work, you know. She's like, "Uh, do you want to go, you know, before the show tomorrow to a matinee? So I was like, okay. And we went to go see this movie called This Is England. I don't know if you know that movie. I don't know. Well, uh, I'm embarrassed it's, to say it. it's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. And there's a lot of, it's kids. It's like a 13 year old boy who what? becomes a skinhead and, um, this whole gang around him and the kid is amazing and all the supporting characters are amazing. But you know, like a third of the way through the movie, this actor comes into the movie and just completely hijacks the whole thing. And he's like so intense and kind of evil, but like you feel for him Yeah, and, I was doing this sort of minor bad guy in this Albie play at night and I remember like being so blown away by him and then going to the theater that night and being like, so inspired to yeah. be more, you know, make more out of what I was doing. And and that actor turned out to be Stephen Graham, who played Capone oh, on God, Boardwalk I love Empire. I Stephen. So my first day was going to be opposite Stephen Graham, you know, in the first George Remus scene where I keep saying my name yeah. over and he doesn't know who I'm talking about. Yeah. And I'm like, the no, well, he's George <laughs> Remus, you know. And uh, he couldn't have been sweeter, you know. So he dispelled my worries right away because he was so sweet, yeah. you know. And of course, then I was like, when I saw him as Capone, I was like, oh, that's what makes him so special. Is like he's bringing this vulnerability yeah To Capone. i thought he was going to be really intimidating yeah. you know, and uh but he brought this softness to yeah. it you know and um but i just remember like telling the director like can you have a background come through here at this point point?" and i don't know there was just like a new sense of ownership it was the first time i was still didn't know what i was doing yeah. on camera but i was experimenting in a new way i don't i don't I even know where that came that from for a
0: second I mean- and
1: um And it was also like walking into this world and not only Scorsese behind the, you know, the project, but all those cool Tim new york actors you know a few of them i'd known like i'd known uh, michael stuhlbarg we were kind of contemporaries and came out of school around the same time and uh, a few of the people but you know it just seemed like these cool edgy new york actors and yeah. i was getting you know a little bit you know indoctrinated into that into the on-camera world but i really didn't feel like i knew what i was doing and it got uh, some extra press because ken burns was doing um a prohibition documentary at the Uh-oh. time and he f- focused on george remus so there were newspaper articles about yeah. me now playing this part on hbo and i was like i don't really, you know, unfortunately, you know, I dove into the, into the background of George Remus, which is a a crazier real life story than fiction could ever live up to. Yeah. It's like an incredible life. And, um, You know, it became on the show a little bit of a joke because, you know, I remember that first time sitting at a table reading once my character came back and I'm with, you know, all the gangster guys and I'm, you know, trying to to tell them this and that. Yeah. And and then at the end, I had the line, Remus is finished. (laughs) And I remember Scorsese bursting out laughing and everybody at the table laughing. And then I was doomed from that point because then it was just like me saying my name over and over, George Remus, George Remus. Even even Buscemi at some point was like, "We're still, we're still doing this," you know. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, it was it didn't go into the depths of like what that guy's life was and whatever. It became more of a comic relief. But I tried to like play against it a little bit with some gravitas of like, he th- really thought he was something. In fact, one of the things I was really thinking about when I played that part was, was Trump, who wasn't president at the wow. time. He was just Trump, you know, but he was putting his name on everything. And so I thought about it, you yeah. know, partially like a lawyer, which he had been and partially like a businessman. Yeah. Kind of branding, you yeah. know. So to, to make sense of like, why am I saying
0: Remus so much, you yeah. know? <laughs> And then, how how was True Detective? Was that fun working with McConaughey? And True Detective and Woody was Nick.
1: another step. You know, again, there's HBO in a moment when um, it's really the. F- the role that kind of made me known around yeah. the world. the Yellow like,
0: King. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I remember, like, the, for my wife and I always talk about, like, that first week or so after that came out where people were just, like, following me. I'm sure like, you could. <laughs> you know, it was, like, a little weird, you know? And people were taking pictures, and most people were nice, but we were just feeling this new sense of, like, oh, we're being Voyeurism looked at wherever yeah. <laughs> we go. And every time we walked into a restaurant or whatever. Yeah. That was quite a phenomenon. I've been lucky with a lot of the things I've done that they've happened, you know, that was, like, a moment where, like, I forget what it ended in the fall, but something on HBO. And then it was before, like, Game of Thrones had come back, and it was like this pocket where, like, everyone was just watching True yeah. Detective. You know what I mean? And I've had a few experiences like that where the timing was right, where it was just like, wow, this is like the thing, right? Yeah. Now, you it know? was
0: the biggest thing in the world. And that
1: one, you know, is one of those, you know, sometimes you have no idea. That was one of those, he had written that whole thing before. See made. Was- and when I read it, I was like, I read them all out of order. They, I kept saying, can you send me like two and six? You yeah. know? <laughs> and they, I, they were sending them in like a funny order. So I read it all out of order first. And then I read the whole, I like binge read it like in a weekend. And I was like, oh, this is, this it's is something. special, you know, yeah. this is going to be special. I hadn't seen something quite like this before. And, you know, the fact that I was the reveal of the whole thing, you know, yeah. I carried that around. It was like two years before the thing came out from the time I met Carrie and wow. Nick, to the time it came. So I was like this walking spoiler alert for like two years. Yeah. You know? So it was a very, a very strange, heady experience. And uh, Woody and Matthew were great you know, it was, it wasn't like a fun job. You know, some people are always like, is it fun? You know? Uh, and some jobs are fun and some are like, you kind of go to the place, you know, and you're just like sitting with that. So I remember like, we had some emails back and forth, Nick and, and um Carrie Fukunaga and I, about who this guy was going to be. And I was doing a lot of research, but I was mostly alone with it, you know, with my, like, little baby at home and, you know, this tortured mindset. And then I'd show up to set and Carrie would be like, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, he yeah. would be like, is that the voice you're going to use? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, come on. <laughs> you know, and... uh and so it just, it evolved, you know, in a, in a very interesting way. Um, but, mo- but mostly, you know, it was four to six hours of makeup. So I was like 2.30 a.m. calls, wow. and me and my makeup artist and, and, um, and just kind of staying in the, in a kind of a dark place. Yeah. And, you know, the, Nick had said, ah, the basic thing is like your, your mind is like a hall of mirrors. Yeah. So I was like, just trying to like jump from one persona to another. And it's funny that that became a breakout role. Cause again, here's a part. Where he's got to be a lot of different people, you yeah. know, cause he's grown up watching these, watching stuff on TV and trying to figure out how to talk. Yeah. And so he's like taking on accents and, you know, um, he's a bit of a chameleon, which is what I've always, you know, strived to be. So, so I was like, oh, interesting. Cause I couldn't find my niche and like, what kind of parts am I going to finally get, yeah. you know, to break out? I could go in for a lot of different things, but what's the thing that, you know, and my agents were always like, Oh, it's just gonna take that one yeah. part, you know, but what a thing to, you know, totally. be associated with. So then the next phase of my career was like having a fight against <laughs> whatever that was. Yeah. You know,
0: well it must have been cool having Barry, which is something that's totally the other side of the coin. Well just-
1: the first you know, I did, I did a movie or two where I was like, I just wanna like be in a suit and like talk normal and you know, I yeah. did a few uh other kind of dark um villainous roles because i was like okay i know where my bread's buttered and yeah. the wildest is coming in but i would always look for like is there something new for me to play like a new energy yeah so i did a couple of those and then uh, i did a movie where i was like a politician and then eventually that led to billions and that was the first real change where i was like now people are seeing me every sunday night yeah. as this, the smartest guy in the room yeah you know dressed Paul sharp magazine. you know and um and that was a that was yet another kind of career changer. And that was Showtime, not HBO. Yeah. <laughs> but um and uh we're currently shooting our 5th season of that show. So that was a big change. And then Barry, you know, the crazy thing about Billions is that, you know, I'm a recurring guest star on it even though they ended up putting me in the pilot. I actually joined in the second episode wow. and they put me back in the pilot, but I was making a movie. I almost didn't get to do it. In fact, with Michael Mayer, no Spring way. Awakening director, we were making The Seagull with Annette Bening yeah, thought, and I Saoirse that. Ronan. So I was upstate New York and they were and then I came in, um, I was like up all night. We were shooting night, all night shoots that week. And I was like, I'm a night owl. I can do this. I'm looking at poor Annette Benning, like, oh, these poor people yeah. are four in the morning, but I can do this. And then uh it happened to be a week where I got like all these auditions. Wow. And so I did a couple from the hotel room. And then I tried to get back on a Thursday. I couldn't get back. And then I stayed up all night shooting. And then I was like, okay, we're going to go 7 a.m. Go into the city. And crank out three in a row. I had one at like, you know, 10 one at like 11 yeah. one at 12 or something. And I'm just going from room to room. And, uh, amazingly, they all went fine. I felt like underprepared. I was like, yeah. I should cancel these. And one of them was billions. And, um, I only knew about it because my friend David Costable had done the pilot yeah. several months before. NYU. Ooh. Yes, yeah. indeed. My classmate. Yeah. And, um, that was all I really knew about it. Yeah. And my manager rep Maggie Siff and and I knew Maggie and um, but I didn't know much else about the show. Yeah. And so and it was a one scene thing, but something told me like this is a part that like could be something. Yeah. And um, I was back upstate to shoot again by like four o'clock in the afternoon and I uh, got a call. Uh, you booked billions, but you can't do it. 'Cause of the seagull. And the weird thing was the seagull was shot all in one house. So yeah. It was all one location except for the last day, which was going to be at this theater that they had in like Armonk. And they had to have me for that day. And billions happened to be also like a location thing with like hundreds of extras yeah. and like Pendulette was swallowing fire in the scene and yeah. it was at Cipriani Wall Street. And um so neither could bend. So I was like, Oh shoot, you know, that's too bad and i wrote to dave and i said you know i booked billions but i can't do it and he was like ah oh, well there'll be other parts and i was like ah oh, something tells me like this was this is yeah. a part you know and um and then all weekend at, again Tom Hulse was producing the movie and he kept saying like oh they're wanting you for this thing we're trying to free you up I was like oh I was told it's dead I was like but thank you I'm sorry if it's an inconvenience yeah. they're like well we're trying to work it out with them." another producer came up to me and said something and Michael Mayer comes up to me and says something all for the next several days wow. and then on like a Tuesday after that I was like in, at a friend's in Princeton New Jersey and Michael Mayer called me and was like I just want to tell you that we've made it so that you can do billions Amazing. and I was like oh well, you didn't have to do that. That's so great. And little did I know, I guess there was an inkling, uh, you know, that now we're five years later and I've been recurring on this show and it's been so great. But every season of that show, I've had some other big thing. And because, you know, I recur, you know, they've, they've always worked it out. So, you know, I went and did this George Clooney movie, uh, The next year, and then I went and did Barry, where I was like against myself. That was (laughs) awkward. I was like, Oh, it's going to be Sunday night, opposite (laughs) billion, (laughs) airing at the same time. But so many people responded because they were like, We're seeing you in both things. And I was like, Again, it's a chance for people to see me as this Russian, you know, mobster and then as this, you know, slick New York lawyer. And, um, and then, you know, last year with Joker.
0: Yes, I'm getting the five minute heads up from my producer, but I got to ask you about that, that film. Joker I mean what was it like I mean I mean obviously it's Academy Award nominated but you're such an incredible performer in that and you're such a major part of that role oh, and it was lovely watching you what you did with that character and and kind of the journey of of your friendship turned kind of like uh enemy back to friendship trying to rekindle and and I spoiler alert the amazing death scene you know one of the funniest
1: I tend to get killed a lot I'm, <laughs> I'm going to eventually edit it all together in a reel but I keep having like another one I'm like oh, there's another reel. one coming so I can't do it yet um how was it working with joaquin and todd uh it was it was an experience it was an experience it was a trip very very distinctive feeling todd and i hit it off right away Uh, i did meet with him yeah um uh, a couple of times and he he changed the tone of the character and i understood it particularly when you put it on me you know i had to say things like you know uh like a, a snub nose 48 or whatever yeah um 48 snub nose and um it it felt too gangstery to him and so i came back in and we tried to like he took some of that language out and i tried to like you know he was like are you going to mean you know that new yorkie i was like well i kind of feel like it's gotham and it's new york yeah. but you know but he didn't want it to be too you know associated with with that so we we but we it was very collaborative and he's an NYU guy he went to NYU film yeah, school yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know i knew him from his comedy so to hear him talk film and and to be so passionate and you know have written the script and, yeah. um I just kind of had a good feeling. Uh, Joaquin I'd worked with before on a movie called the immigrant and we had a great time and you know, it was right when, you know, he'd gone on David Letterman and done all this weird stuff. So I thought, what is this going to be? It was while I was doing death of a salesman. In fact, and, um, and then he couldn't have been sweeter. And we had lunch together and we talked all day. You know, he had just worked with Phil in the master. Oh yeah. He was like, I don't don't understand how you're doing this. How Phil is doing that part. Like he didn't understand theater. You know, I remember going back to Phil that night and saying like, I worked with Joaquin today and he, he doesn't know how you're doing it. He's like, Oh yeah, he's a great actor, but he doesn't get theater at all. (laughs) Um, and, uh, anyway, so sweet. And then I come to the Joker going, okay, at least Joaquin and I are cool. And then it was like a whole other guy. It wasn't Joaquin. Joaquin. was Joker. Yeah, that's you know.
0: what Chase said, too. <laughs> so, yeah, he
1: had lost all the weight. I yeah. mean, I was really worried for him when I first saw him because I was like, this is not the same guy. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he mostly just talked to Todd. And, uh, you know, we did oddly collaborate through doing take after take. Particularly, my earlier stuff was... Um, at the beginning of the movie, he was still finding the character. I, I feel like the first time we did a scene, it was a different character. And then oh. we ended up reshooting that scene, and then they ended up cutting it again. No way. So for me, there was more stuff. There was a little more of an arc, so it was a little painful, you know, yeah. and it happens all the time. And everybody got cut, because it really is focused on Joaquin, as yeah. it should be. It's a real character study. But... um You know uh, that my character randall just kind of developed with todd it wasn't one of those you know a lot of times i come in with a real plan i like to just obsess over a script and like really start to feel it in my body before i get there and this was one where i was like i don't know i really didn't know I, i was like talking with the costume designer and uh, and with Todd and, and through throwing stuff against the wall with Joaquin, who was different every take. So yeah. it really just evolved. I saw
0: that on the special features like all the 80 different versions of every same scene that he did. Oh, really? Take after take. Yeah. yeah. So
1: so yeah, it was just a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff.
0: And that, I mean, that must have blown you out of the stratosphere. You probably can't walk on the subway now without a... Uh,
1: no, yeah. I mean, not not so much. I mean, you know, I've had weeks recently where I'm like, oh, I'm getting recognized a lot. But it's you know, it's still a lot of billions. It's still yeah. a lot of true detective, occasionally Barry. You know, it's funny. I'm I'm in different places, you know, when I go to my gym, it's like all the boardwalk empire people come yeah. out of the woodwork, you know. Uh you can sort of tell different, you know, well, the different fans. But um yeah, it was cool to be in something that made a billion dollars and is an international thing. It's certainly the rest of my career does not uh, oh, reflect it's, that, it's you know. Only so starting it, you, it, man. it was a it's it's in a little bit of a an aberration, but um it was fun to I grew up on Batman and all that stuff. So it was fun to kind of dip my toe in that world. And, you know, that's what's being made now, you know. So for Todd to have found a way to do it in this artistic way and, you know, try to do a a new take on it, you know, was really cool. And I do have to mention before we wrap up uh, my new show for life on ABC. Amazing. Um, It's already been airing. We're a few weeks in. Amazing. And I'm just kind of around the first few, three or four weeks. And then my story gets really incredible. So I I do want to say that it's a little different uh, because it's a a network show. Yeah, but it's about based on a real guy named Isaac Wright Jr., who was wrongly imprisoned and became a prison paralegal and eventually a lawyer and took down the whole administration that put him away that no was way. corrupt. And it it departs from his story somewhat. It ebbs and flows, but it's strongly inspired by him. He's one of our exec producers along with Fifty Cent and wow. the, the writer Hank Steinberg.
0: And and what day is, does it's that air? On
1: Tuesday nights at ten. Tuesday nights uh, at ABC. ten. On ABC. On ABC. And um, it's it's a real special show. Yeah. Yeah. For life.
0: Well, Glenn Fleshler, man, you're one of the greatest actors in the world. I mean, oh. uh, when I when I put top five, you're in my top five, man. Like you're you're Daniel I'm Day Lewis level talented, oh, and stop it. you've really you've been such an inspiration for me. And I I really you know you've been a hero to mine without even you you you've helped me so much. Like so many of my callbacks and pins have been because like I study you, and I'm like oh, I got to I got to steal I'm you know so, his. M-. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, man, you're the best. And 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 when I talk to actors, when I do classes, when I go to one on one you know we always talk about Glenn Fleshler. like everyone loves you man well, that's you're, crazy you are you're our hero and, and and we're so grateful for the work you're doing and I know the best is yet to come and I have so much gratitude for you being here I have, yeah it's my pleasure and thank immense you, love for you and, and I, I know so much <laughs> is just I'm so excited for all that's to come thanks man yeah Appreciate it. Glenn, I love you brother thank you man if you like the show rate review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts thank you for listening